Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in strategy and consulting at one of the world's top consulting firms, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest is a 2020 grad of USC's Marshall School of Business who is working in product marketing as a campaign manager at Accenture. But before I introduce you to AJ Eckstein, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that digs into career advice and insights from the professionals like AJ who are actually working in the jobs and industries that most interest you. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my cappuccino-loving, aspiring consultants, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is AJ Eckstein, a product marketing campaign manager at Accenture, where he's worked since February 2021. AJ is also the founder of The Final Round and host of The Final Round podcast, which has a mission to democratize fun, high-quality, and tailored career advice. To date, AJ has interviewed dozens of recruiters at top companies to help students and recent grads knock out the competition and advance past the final round interview. Right after we graduated in the summer of 2020, and we all remember what that was like, AJ founded the Career Coaching Company, a startup that helped students and young professionals to land their dream internships and jobs through tailored one-to-one coaching sessions. And while he was still in college at USC, AJ interned at, get this, at five companies, including Fortune 100 companies and a tech startup, in addition to leading the Latino Business Student Association as its president, building it into one of the largest undergraduate student associations and organizations in the Marshall School of Business. AJ, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated out there in California and ready to go? You know, Andrea, I need to be caffeinated because it's 7.30 in the morning over here in Los Angeles before work, but I cannot be more excited. I've also been in the T4C community for some time now as a listener and to now be interviewed by the chief Java junkie herself in the flesh. It's very exciting to be on the other side of the table. So 
I'm caffeinated. I have a cup of black coffee, drink it straight. I used to drink it with a ton of milk. And now I just go all black and I cannot be more excited to join you on the show. Mic drop. We're done with the interview, AJ. I'm sorry. Like you are the ultimate guest. You get an A plus right out of the gate. I am so excited to have you on the show. As you know, I have been following you now for some time on LinkedIn. I too am a fan of the final round podcast. And I am just so blown away by you, AJ. You are such an incredible young man, an incredible professional. You have so much like just fire in your belly. And we share a similar passion, which is to help our young listeners. So let us get into it. Actually, even before we get into it, I want to ask you, your hustle and your focus, is that nature or nurture or is it both? So it's a great question. And I actually made a, a LinkedIn post about this a couple of months ago about kind of my story. And I think when you look at someone, for instance, like the chief Java junkie, and you see her profile on LinkedIn, it looks like your life has just been a ton of wins and successes. And there's never been failures. There's never been hardships. And I think for me, you know, I get that a lot where people think that I'm always just winning and just every day I'm posting, I'm happy to announce posts on LinkedIn or whatever it may be. But I think if you really take a step back and really peel the onion, you see that there were a lot of hardships to get to where you are today. And a lot of people just focus on the wins, but they don't focus on the journey. So if I were to take a step back, even prior to USC, I was in high school and I was not super motivated. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I always said, I'll just go to community college and figure it out. And then when really time struck, I saw all my friends getting to very great four-year universities and they were about to have the time of their lives and really jumpstart their careers. I went to community college, but I got on the Trojan transfer plan. And at community college, I told myself that I, I could do more. I, I should do more. I feel like I'm wasting my talent and I really want to work harder to really jumpstart my career. So when I went to community college, I doubled down on working my absolute butt off. I got a 4.0. I worked a couple minimum wage jobs, a busser, a server, a food runner, anyone, any of your listeners who have worked in the food industry know that you learn more about customer service in these jobs than any other job. I don't care if it's an internship, name any company, but also you just learn a lot about yourself and you really have to focus on your own journey. And I, I tried to just get off social media during that year because it was so tough as a freshman, essentially in college at community college, seeing all of my friends having the time of their lives at four universities and again, really developing their careers. So my head down, got it done at first year, ended up transferring to USC. And for any of your audience, not just in the food industry, but also as a transfer student, you know that you have to put yourself out there because it's not that easy to just make friends and socialize and network. So I think looking back, obviously in the moment, I wish I had four years at USC, but I'm so happy that I had three because if I didn't have three and I didn't transfer, I would not have been the person I am today. So I do think that it's something I've developed over the years and continue to push myself and always ask myself when I wake up, is there something I could do more? on top of what I'm doing full-time or on top of being a full-time student. So I think it's a mix of, of nurture and nature. Oh my God. Now I have even more respect for you, AJ. And saying that, because my, my respect for you is already like in the stratosphere. So let us dive into what you're doing now at Accenture. 
Your title, your current role is product marketing campaign manager. It's a role you started in May 2022. And we're doing this interview right now, just a month later and in mid-April. What does that title mean? You were starting to unpack it for me before we started this interview. And what do you do in it, AJ? Well, I think if we, we take a step back, it's, it's very interesting because so many people have no idea what consultants do. And especially early on, even starting in the world of consulting, it's, it's very difficult. And I think the common answer that you get, and this is, it's just a joke around consultants or even people in the industry, is it depends. And the reason why we say it depends is because let's talk about Accenture for a second. If you didn't know this, it's pretty crazy. Accenture globally has over half a million employees. So I think it's 600,000 employees worldwide, which is literally a country. So it's crazy to think that. But if you think about that, and if I'm at the company, even if I start next to my friend, let's say Sarah, we are going to have very different paths. You pave your own path. You really have to set yourself up for success. I can get on a one-month project. She can get on a two-year project. I could be in working for Starbucks as a consulting for them. She could be working for Microsoft. So the cool thing about Accenture, given that they're a public company, is we have the resources to really work with any company in any industry across the board. For myself, over the last about year and four months, I've had the privilege to work for, I believe it's five different projects now. And specifically, my current project is basically a product marketing manager where I help run the email marketing team for a global Fortune 100 tech client. And essentially what we do is we come in and we consult for the client. And we try to figure out you know, each week, what are the deliverables? How could we help them? But this specific role is a little bit less consulting and more like it's called staff augmentation, where this company just wants to bring on people short term and really help them address their, their biggest pain points and really help them grow on the marketing side of things. So I can't share the client name, but I can share that one of the coolest things about consulting is coming in. I did not have product marketing experience, but I've learned so much. And I always said, and I made this a a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago, that consulting is a giant rotational program. So anyone out there who is thinking about getting into consulting, I would definitely encourage it because it's a great way to figure out what you want to do. And across the board, I've done product marketing roles. I've done sales strategy roles, strategic innovation roles. I've done project management, product management, program management. So it's a great way to learn a lot across different industries in a short amount of time. One of the biggest kind of mind challenges, I think, for students, AJ, and you've been a student a lot more recently than I have. And frankly, for a lot of people who are more seasoned in their careers is getting over the imposter syndrome. And I would imagine before you start one of these new roles that is completely new to you, where you don't have that like years of experience to back you up is very intimidating. How do you manage that? It's a great question. And I think the million dollar question that everyone asks is saying, I don't get it. Why is AJ consulting for a Fortune 100 client? You know, why are you advising the C-level executives on what to do? If you are, let's say, a a fresh new grad who has zero to one or two years of experience. And I think it is a very valid question. But if you take a step back, you realize that it's not just me. It's our entire team. We have people who are senior analysts, consultants, 
We have people who are managers, managing directors, people who come in as SMEs or subject matter experts. So it's not just you. You do have opportunities to own certain work streams and present to the client and work hand in hand with them, but it's not just you. So that's the first thing you could take kind of some stress off of your plate where it's not just you, it's a team effort. But also you have to realize, and I think this is just speaking broader about the about imposter syndrome, is if it's not you, it's somebody else. And the biggest thing for me in my life is I, as, as I look back and I've coached you know, other people before, and I always tell them that there's no worse feeling than having someone else get something, knowing that you were maybe more qualified, but you never shot your shot, you never applied. And I always say that the feel of, of failure is actually a better feeling than the feeling of regret whether that's not applying to an internship at Google because you don't think you're good enough to work in FANG, or that's not shooting your shot and networking with this one person, but then this other person gets a free lunch with a managing director, whatever it may be. So I think imposter syndrome is real. And I would lie if I say I still don't have some cases of imposter syndrome, but I would say for this specific role, and for instance, getting into product marketing management, what I did to come in before I started is I educated myself on this sub-industry. So I learned as much as I could online. I learned as much as I could about the client. I also reached out to people who were in this area for much more time and asked them for best pieces of advice. So when I came in, yes, I didn't have years of experience, but I had some experience. And I think the biggest thing is you come in hungry, not coming in thinking you know everything. Because if you come in hungry and you have a burning belly, you will learn quickly and people will want to work with you. Because again, not everyone want someone to come in and just have them be an expert. I think the biggest thing you can add as whether you're a fresh new grad or you're an analyst or you're an associate or you are a BDR in sales, like a new entry-level role, is the energy and the passion that you bring. Because a lot of the team has been there for years and they've been doing the same thing over and over again. So you coming with a fresh perspective, a new fly on the wall, new, new set of eyes is an advantage. So that's what I try to bring to the table as much hunger, as much passion, as much energy as I possibly can. Are you saying fly on the wall because there was that big ass fly that was in my office just before we started this interview? You know, to share with the audience, there was a huge fly <laughs> and the chief Java junkie did, uh, did take care of it prior to, uh, to this interview. Yeah, there was a slaughter. There was <laughs> a slaughter. So guess what? I still have imposter syndrome, AJ. This isn't something that just evaporates any time you push yourself out of your comfort zone, and that's how you grow, you're going to naturally be dealing with some shit in your head that's saying like, ooh, can I do this? All these other people have so much more experience. But that has been the secret sauce for me in my professional journey. And I am positive for so many other people. That is the way that you grow. So AJ, take us into a typical day for you on the job. We're doing this interview before the workday starts, which like kudos to you for getting up extra early. But what does a day look like for you right now in your current role? And I want to preface again that it depends. So if you ask even 20 consultants, not just at Accenture, but at name the next 20 consulting companies. It depends because everybody's on different clients. And we actually could all be on, let's say, Microsoft. Let's say we were all consulting from Microsoft. There could be a million different work streams. Each work stream or each project is just in a different stage of the scope of work. So we can be kicking it off. We could be ending it and giving our recommendation or deliverable. So again, it really depends. I would say for me and my specific role, 
it's been it's really been exciting where I don't really feel as much as a consultant. I feel like I'm part of the team that I'm consulting for. So there's not as much consultant versus client dynamic. It's more so that we are just on the same marketing strategy team and we meet every, let's say, a couple of times a day talking about different initiatives for the week. We have larger team meetings. We have one-on-ones. We work on different work streams. I'm launching a couple of campaigns this year for these large email campaigns working on whether it's a new product launch or a retail moment. So for instance, a new product launch could just be a new product that the tech company is coming out with. So we work hand-in-hand with a lot of cross-functional stakeholders. We work with the product team, the engineering team. We work with the creative agency to really help launch this product. Think about the strategy. We write creative briefs to then launch it to the consumer and really focus on the KSPs, the key selling points of what makes this product the most unique. So that's on the kind of NPIs or new product intro side. My other side of the house is on retail moments. So think of the biggest retail moments for you, maybe listening as a consumer, is things like Earth Day, Father's Day, Black Friday, huge retail moments where everything goes on sale. And how could we get some positioning to where you look at our store versus other people's stores? So that's kind of where I sit, again, in NPI's new product intros and then retailer or promotional moments. But also one of the things that I would advise your audience to do is continue to raise your hand. So if I'm in a meeting and I hear someone's trying to work on, let's say, a win-back campaign where we have some consumers who purchased a product a year ago, but they have not been active on, on our storefront, how could I raise my hand and help? And I think that's something that I've really enjoyed because the learning curve is very steep. Yes, there's imposter syndrome, but going out and saying, how could I help? How could I learn from you has been fantastic. So again, to go back to your, your question, every day is different. There's a mix of one-on-ones, group meetings. But I'd say the biggest thing is working cross-functionally and really just owning your work stream and making sure that you are pushing other people, encouraging, motivating, mentoring other people to make sure that at the end of the day, the campaign gets launched. Got it. So it's less about getting into the weeds in terms of like, in your case, writing the emails, actually executing the marketing strategy and more on 10,000 foot, laying out the steps and then making sure that various team members are executing on their roles. So yeah, so again, I would say it depends. My role has been a little bit of both, which has been super exciting. I've helped really develop the strategy for these specific email campaigns or whether it is through O&O, our owned and operated channels, whether it is through working with our analytics team, whatever it may be. But I also have the privilege to not only help develop the strategy, but also go and implement it. And I think usually in the world of strategy consulting, a great analogy for your audience is that you help develop the roadmap on how to climb the mountain, but you pass that to the client and you say, good luck. You don't actually climb it with them. Versus on the management consulting side, management or operations or tech consulting is more about implementation. And it's taking a a strategic roadmap, grabbing the client's hand, and walking them up the mountain. So there are differences. One of the cool things about Accenture and kind of one of our main value adds is that we do end-to-end consulting. So not only could we help with the strategy, but we also have teams who work on implementation, whether it's tech implementation, operations, et cetera. There are other companies out there who their bread and butter is strategy. But once they're done with the strategy, the the client will go to another company to work on implementation because implementation is their bread and butter. So that's one of the cool things about Accenture Again, working on end-to-end, 
but every project's been different. Again, at last couple of projects, I've had some where it was super high level, not in the weeds, very, very high level strategic working with very high ups at the company. Some other projects have been in the weeds, day-to-day work with the team. It doesn't feel as, as much as consulting. Got it. Thank you so much for breaking that down. You started off at Accenture as a strategy and consulting analyst. And specifically, you were an innovation fellow working on the client innovation services team at Accenture. How did you get that fellowship, AJ? You were only one of three analysts selected for that innovation fellowship rotational program. It's, it's actually a really funny story because I didn't even know about this fellowship prior to joining the, joining the company. And one of the biggest pieces of advice, even for your audience who maybe is not in the consulting world, is networking is not just to get a job. But I actually ironically do more networking now that I'm in the company than I did to break into the company. And if we just try to unpack that for a second, especially in consulting, especially in a company with 600,000 people worldwide. I could literally network with 10 people a day and still in the next 50 years have more people to network with. So in consulting, and again, every consulting company is a little bit different. Some consulting companies will take your preferences of what industry, what type of work you want to focus on, but you have really no say and you just get randomly placed. I think one of the really cool things about Accenture is that you get to go out and hunt for the best projects. So I think if you're someone who does not want to put themselves out there, it could be a little bit challenging. And there are resources to help you get paired with an HR partner and they work with you on finding the best roles. But at the end of the day, no one's going to fight for you more than yourself. So I've loved this kind of staffing mindset where I could go out, network with the right people and find the best projects. And I heard about this innovation fellowship program when I started and I was going through onboarding and training. And I networked like crazy, met the right people, shared how my background fits in with their strategic priorities, and was able to get on the program. So it was a really cool program. The best way to explain this specific fellowship is it's almost like the front door of Accenture, Accenture's house. So clients would come in and say, I've heard about Accenture, but I really don't know what they do. Can you just work with us on a couple of strategic workshops or ideation sessions and walk us through here's a couple of challenges that we have and what can you offer? So we work with them hand in hand and then we can say, all right, we did this amazing workshop. Here are the takeaways. Now we recommend you going with our strategy team, our ops team, our tech team, our management consulting team. And then our goal as the innovation fellowship team is to sell a work stream. And then another team takes it on. It's a handoff and they go work on that for six, 12, 18 months, whatever it may be. So I think the biggest takeaway is not just this specific program, that every company will surprise you with new things to learn about. So just keep your eyes and ears open and network like crazy. I love that so much. I want to flash back in a second to when you were in school, AJ. But before we do that, could you talk a little bit about how you have used what you've been exposed to thus far working across five different clients or five different projects in the consulting and strategy world and applied it to your side hustle work? It's a tough question. I would say the biggest thing is just having a really focused work-life balance. And 
I honestly believe that I am more valuable as a consultant because I have things that I do on the side before work, like this podcast interview after work, I work weekends for the final round, not because I have to, but because I'm passionate and I have much more time in the weekends, of course. So I would say the biggest thing is just being able to juggle a lot and still giving the time for everything. So that, that's probably the first thing. The second thing is there are a lot of things that you learn in one of the two that you can bring to the other. And I'm not talking about trade secrets, but I'm talking about that there's an interesting concept that I learned in my marketing strategy role about how to really market to a consumer and how to work with them rather than sell to them. How could I take that and market our podcast, which is a product, and how could I market that to our audience of the final round? So there's a lot of, I would say, synergies between the two. I do try to keep them very separate. But I have learned a lot from both. And again, they both give me credibility. So one of the cool things, you know, and all people don't realize this is when I'm networking at Accenture, I can't just say, hey, I'm an Accenture consultant. Because guess what? There's 559,999 other consultants there. So my unique branding is that I have a podcast and I interview recruiters. And a lot of times the, the clients that I work for, let's just say the client will go back with Microsoft. Well, guess what? I interviewed a Microsoft recruiter. And then I throw that to the client. They love it. And it's just a great way to get my foot in the door. On the other side of the table, hosting the final round or founding the final round, I get a lot of credibility from being the consulting world. So I think they go hand in hand. And I've really enjoyed working on both. And again, the biggest thing, and I get this question a lot, is how do you manage everything? And I think it's really just having a dedicated schedule. I live, eat, and breathe my calendar. And if I put something in my calendar, I'm going to get it done. And during the week is my time to put my head down, to focus. I put my phone right now. It's on do not disturb. And I just get what I need to get done. And I work my butt off in the process. So I would say the biggest thing is just being able to juggle a lot, whether it was in school, being a full-time student, also running a huge student organization and interning during, during the year. I'd say, and I, a lot of people want you to be, to not push yourself and to be kind of complacent. I would say for me, the biggest way that I've grown is I've taken on way more or bitten off more than I could chew by tenfold. And yes, sometimes it gets overwhelming. You can always take a step back and it's important to also learn to say no. But when you're in that time where you want to take on these opportunities, there's nothing better than saying yes to a million things and just growing from it. Oh my gosh. So much respect, AJ. So you mentioned the internships. You had five of them when you were at USC. Some were three months long. Others were five months. What would you say the ROI was or even is on having had so many internships? And what advice do you have for our listeners who are still in school around the kinds of internships that they should go out for? I think the biggest misconception going into school, and, and it's challenging because I actually fell into this trap my freshman year, is in the summer, you'll take some time off from school. Maybe you'll get some traveling in, depending on COVID guidelines, of course. And a lot of times people will just work a minimum wage job, whether that's in the food industry, maybe you're a clerk at a retail store, you work at a supermarket, at a coffee shop, whatever it may be. And there's nothing against that. However, it's not looked at as super relevant experience unless you're working at an actual business, if you're trying to go into the business world, or if you're getting a marketing internship to go into marketing. So it's really tough when I have mentored people who are seniors and I said, what experience do you have? And they say, oh, well, 
I've been a server for the last four years. And again, nothing against that. You probably make more money as a server than you do as maybe minimum wage as an intern. But the issue is that it's not super relevant. And of course, if that's all you have, you can still build on the customer service skills and the hours and the the really tough work. But there's really nothing better than an internship for a couple of reasons. Number one, you can get great referrals. If you did very well, you can use those contacts to get to the next opportunity. Number two, you start to learn what you like and what you don't like. I think that's super important. Number three is as great as school was for me and a lot of other people, it's not the real world. And they don't teach you how to set up your calendar, how to set out or to send out calendar invites. They don't teach you how to communicate in the real working world. They don't teach you how to do a lot of things because you have to learn it on the job. So it's a very different dynamic than working with your friends, than working on a, on a school project, working in a student organization. So I think that overall, if you can get internship experience, it's by far some of the most relevant experience as a student. But also thinking about what you want to do. If you're a freshman or a sophomore, you have to be honest with yourself. You're not going to be eligible for a lot of the larger opportunities. So for instance, my junior summer, I uh, was very fortunate to intern on a program called the Business Leader Rotation Program at the Walt Disney Company. But even if I had my sights set on this program as a freshman or sophomore, I wasn't eligible because they only take juniors. So I would say, number one, do your research. And number two, start to build a path. Let's say you're a freshman or a sophomore and you want to get to that, let's say, Disney Leadership Rotational Program. What opportunities will help you leap from one opportunity to the next? And I'm not saying to use it as, as a transaction and maybe you love it, but you continue with that company for long term. But just think about if that's a business rotational program. And let's say the main rotations are finance, marketing strategy, and industrial engineering. Those are the three rotations. How can you get some internship experience in one of those three buckets in the previous years? Internship experience is fantastic. And especially, and I'm sure you've seen on LinkedIn that a lot of people are posting these entry-level jobs and it doesn't say zero to one years of experience. It says like two to five, three to five, even though that's, that's wrong and entry-level should be entry-level. If you come in with a couple, one or a couple internship experiences under your belt, it's just going to be an asset. So if you can intern, whether it's during the school year, maybe part-time or during the summer, which is very common, even if it's at a startup, just get some real world experience. And there's really no better experience to help you get to the next opportunity. Fantastic. While you were at USC, AJ, you were also involved in extracurriculars. Why did you want to revive and relaunch the Latino Business Student Association on campus. And where did that idea come from? It's actually a really funny story. And I don't know if you've heard of the, of the saying that rejection is redirection. But initially, I fell into the trap of wanting to get into the most prestigious and exclusive clubs and organizations on USC's campus. And one of them was a very prestigious consulting club. Another one was an investment banking club. Two of the most sought after industries for a lot of business undergraduate students. And they look for people with 4.0s who did not transfer schools, who are just like coming from a perfect pedigree. I did not have that by any means. And not that I had a horrible GPA, but I just did not fit their criteria. So I didn't even get an interview. I got flat out rejected. And I was so bummed. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to rely on somebody else to help propel my career. I'm going to build my own organization. So that was the thought process of why I wanted to do something on my own. The next question was, what do I want to build? What do I want to launch? What do I want to start? So I looked around and and there are a ton of organizations, but if you look closely, 
there's always going to be a gap in a certain area. You have to just be very creative of where, and just be very aware of where that gap may be. And USC, especially the Marshall School of Business, prides themselves on diversity and inclusion, but they did not have a prominent Latinx presence on campus. So I'm actually half Hispanic. My mother's from Mexico City. I've spoken Spanish my entire life. And I said, why not start to build a community to really empower Latinx students at USC? So I started and before I dove in, this is a really good piece of advice for anyone even starting a business or an organization, is just see if it actually is a need. Maybe it's a need for you, but is, this an, is it a need for others? Almost like a focus group and just testing the idea. I asked a lot of my friends in the Latinx community. They said, yeah, I don't get it. They're, I'm joining other organizations to build this community and it doesn't exist. So I said, all right, let's, let's launch this. And I looked around and I saw that there used to be an organization called the Latino Business Student Association but it actually fell due to inadequate leadership. So I took it upon myself to relaunch this organization and worked my butt off in the process to make it what it ended up being by the time I graduated, which was one of the largest organizations on campus. We had over 300 members. We had sponsors from every company across the board just throwing us money to get in front of our members. We had exclusive events for our members and all our members were landing internships and jobs across the board. And also for my efforts, I was awarded the Most Outstanding President Award from the Marshall School of Business. So throughout that process, it might sound like I did it just to get a job, but it was actually one of the biggest experiences that I took away from leadership, from managing a team, from really trying to retain, acquire members. And it was one of the most fun and exciting and really just rewarding experiences. We made such big impacts, not just myself, but our entire board, our executive board, we change people's lives forever. And that's why I've always loved the career recruiting space because you don't just give someone a fish. You don't say, here's a job at Google. You teach them how to get a job at Google and they use that for the next 20, 50, 100 years. So it was seriously one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I'm still super involved and I still chat with the board and mentor the board. But I would say for anyone out there, if you're thinking about getting involved, go do it. You're not gonna be upset once you dive into an organization. Totally. And when or if you're rejected from what you thought were your first choices, like just go build it yourself. Go do it. Go find it. Make it happen. AJ, one of the biggest challenges that I'm guessing you have faced in your young life was graduating at the height of the pandemic in May 2020. I am also guessing that no doubt your last semester at USC pretty much sucked. Did you know what you were going to do with your business degree when you graduated? And how did COVID affect any of that? Yeah, I, it's, a, it's, it's a bittersweet moment for sure, because I was so excited. I actually signed my offer. So after Disney, I signed my offer for my full-time job at Accenture the start of my senior year. So I knew pretty about a year before I was supposed to start that I was going to work in strategy and consulting. And I was so excited and I was living it up my senior year and I was super involved and I was just trying to spend time with my friends before we all left and went off to New York, LA, Austin, London, wherever maybe. And then we, I remember literally vividly, like it was yesterday that it was a week before spring break and there were some cases of the coronavirus around the world. And USC was one of the first schools to really start this and say, hey, let's just test going online. Let's see what that would look like. And we said, oh, that's so weird, but okay, we'll do it. And we did a couple of days of remote classes online. We went on spring break and then 
the world shut down. It was on complete lockdown. We never came back to campus from that point of spring break. Never got to say bye to our friends. Our end of senior year completely went from in-person to remote. And I said, you know what? It's all good. At least we'll have graduation. Nope, I was wrong. There was no graduation. It was virtual, which was by far not very fun, not a good culmination of an amazing couple of years at school. And then I was supposed to backpack Southeast Asia for three months prior to starting my job in consulting. Obviously, couldn't do that because the borders were on lockdown. And I said, you know what? It's all good. I'm moving to San Francisco for my job. Couldn't move anymore. There was no point to. I also had a six-month job delay. Accenture was one of the companies where, and honestly, I, I think this was a great decision. Instead of laying off workers who never started because the demand plummeted from, from clients, they just pushed everyone's start date back. So I had a six-month job delay, didn't end up moving in San Francisco, canceled travel plans, no in-person graduation, shortened senior year, all remote. So it was really challenging. And in the moment, I'm not going to lie to you and say I wasn't upset. I wasn't somewhat depressed. I was like, why is this happening? I had my whole career, my life planned out. I had to move back home to save some money. I wasn't working. I couldn't travel, couldn't see friends. But then I took a step back and I said, how could I be complaining right now? I have job security, even though it got pushed back a little bit. I have job security. And then also, there's so many other people struggling. Thankfully, I never had a case of COVID, but I know a lot of friends, family members, they were hospitalized. And maybe they weren't so so fortunate. People who were laying off, who got laid off, who had families, who couldn't just afford to move back home. So I really took that time to assess what was important to me. And I had six months before I started work. So I said, this is a great time to go out and help others and also try to make ends meet. So that's when I started and launched the career coaching company. I reached out to some friends I saw on LinkedIn who needed some career coaching. Started doing that for a couple hours a week. And then the word spread like a wildfire. And then I was so busy. I had I think, 20, 30 clients under my belt. And as a fellow career coach, you know that the more you have, it just can get overwhelming. So I saw that there was a really big need for this during the pandemic. So I took a step back. I really focused on the scalability side of it, brought on coaches onto our team. And a lot of our coaches were recent grads who signed amazing offers at amazing companies but had that job delay as well. Very common across multiple companies, especially any company in the services industry, whether it was investment banking, banking finance, consulting, accounting, whatever it may be. So we scaled it up. We had about 15 coaches. We worked with, I think, over 150 clients in about a year. And it was extremely rewarding. But I think at the end of that process, I did not want to continue career coaching. And I really wanted to provide even more value and scale it even greater for just a greater impact for our audience, a lot of them being job seekers. So throughout that process, I started a podcast called The Final Round. I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I could definitely talk more about The Final Round. No, I totally want you to talk about it. And it is the most awesome name. Everything about it, the way you've produced it with the sound of the bell, like you're in the ring. It's incredible. I just, I love it. I wish you'd been around when I started Time for Coffee because not good for SEO. And that's search engine optimization for those of you who may not know. So you launched the final round, I guess, in January of 2021. And it's the go-to career platform to knock out the competition and advance past the final round interview. Where did that idea come from, AJ? And I also want to ask you, because you have interviewed now a couple dozen recruiters and hiring managers from top companies in a range of industries, what some of your biggest takeaways have been from those interviews? 
So I would say for the final rounds, before you focus on the name, you have to focus on the purpose or the mission of the company, the organization, whatever you're trying to do. And the way that I was able to really understand pain points was looking back, asking our coaches and also asking the people that I've mentored and coached over the years with Career Coaching Company, what were the biggest pain points? And a lot of people were able to get an interview. They got to the final round interview, but they got rejected. So we saw that the biggest chopping block was from the final round to the offer stage. So we knew that that was a huge pain point. Then we asked, why is this the case? And it's really difficult to, and I'm sure everyone here listening has tried to reach out to recruiters, either get ghosted, you get no response. They say they're too busy. They say this is the wrong recruiter because I'm a tech recruiter. You're recruiting for a business role. It's really challenging. And I would say recruiting is very taboo and that you don't really know what happens behind the curtain. So that was kind of our use case of what we could do with this show. The name, the final round came about because again, we're trying to solve that pain point of helping you advance past the final round interview. And then we broke out our seasons into who is the hardest person in a company to reach out to, yet has the most impact. So our seasons are almost like rounds. So season one or round one is with recruiters. That's who we're interviewing right now. And we only interview recruiters. And they are essentially the gatekeepers to getting that second interview with the hiring manager. So again, round one with recruiters. Round two, we'll be doing in the next few months with hiring managers and really talking about the interview process and how you went from recruiter to hiring manager. And then season three or round three or the final round will be about the knockout or success stories of how you were able to successfully get past the recruiter and the hiring manager to become a knockout story. So that's a little bit about the mission behind the final round. And we started our MVP or our minimal viable product, which is our podcast. Now we've grown into, if you just look up, thefinalround.com. It's an overall career platform. So we have a couple of different initiatives. We have a podcast, we have a website blog, we have long form and short form video. And then our new flagship newsletter, which is actually launching in the next two weeks is knockout newsletter and a way to just share content in a different medium. We also have a job board. We have a ton of different things. So we want to make it again, all free for the job seeker. And it's been a really empowering journey and our team cannot be just more awesome and more, more passionate. And we, I think we all share the mission to, to help others in the career and job search. So that's a little bit about the final round. I would say after spending probably 30 or 40 plus hours with recruiters from companies like McKinsey, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, Airbnb, Netflix, Spotify, Goldman Sachs, and we tried to cover essentially every company in every industry. I would say there are a couple of things that definitely come out as, as the biggest themes. The first one being that my favorite quote to this day is actually from episode one. And I'm sure for you, you remember, I mean, I think almost at a thousand episodes in for T for C, you remember your first episode like it was yesterday because that person took a chance on you and there was nothing to go off of. They, they couldn't say, hey, could I listen to your show? Hey, what do you have in the catalog? You had nothing. And that for me was, it was a huge moment. So we actually had a recruiter his name is Bruce Mullen. And now he's a former recruiter at the Boston Consulting Group. And the biggest quote that I live by in my career, my professional journey today is network when you don't need anything. And I think a lot of people, especially in classes in school online, you're taught to network when you need a job, when you need a referral, when you need something from somebody else. But the best relationships are built in an organic fashion when you don't need anything. When you reach out and say, hey, Hey, uh, Chief Java Junkie, love the podcast. I'm not asking for anything. 
All I'm saying is I love this past episode with AJ. I learned a ton. This is my favorite quote. Again, looking forward to staying connected. And it's just very organic when you do those things. I think the biggest thing you can do is also compliment others. People love compliments and don't ask for anything. And then if you engage with someone's content on LinkedIn and you follow each other after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, then you can make your ask if you haven't asked. But a lot of times people just reach out and say, hey, I need something. I need your time. I need a referral. I need a job. I need advice. You become very desperate, very needy. So that's probably one of the biggest takeaways for me. The second thing is recruiters are known or are thought to be not on your side for candidates. And I think if you take a step back, recruiters and candidates have aligned incentives because a recruiter's job is to staff a role from the hiring manager with the most qualified candidate. So if you come in and you're a qualified candidate, be honest with your recruiter. Do your research, do your additional networking. They will help you. They also probably built the job description. They probably have built the interview questions. They work hand in hand with the hiring manager. So maybe they're not in the actual interviews with the hiring managers, but they can be your biggest advocates. So this is a piece of advice from our Airbnb recruiter, Marisa Jones. She said, lean more on your recruiters because a lot of people just use recruiters to schedule the interviews or to be a point of contact. But have them be almost a mentor or a coach. And obviously be respectful. Don't just say, hey, can you review my resume? Hey, can you spend three hours on the weekend? Be respectful. But if they know that you're the best candidate and you know for yourself that you're the best candidate, they're going to do everything in their power to help you. And guess what? You get rejected because it wasn't a good fit and you're more a marketer than a tech person. They're going to try to staff you in another role. So keep those relationships strong. I would say those two are some of the biggest takeaways that I've learned from the final round. Great advice. And you may have already answered this next question, AJ, but I try to ask all of my guests what the best career advice is that they've gotten. It could be the network when you don't need to network, but I just want to ask you that question in case you have other career advice you want to share. So I think you you definitely hit the nail on the head in that me looking back on my life, if I had networked earlier, I think just more opportunities would have come my way. Not that I regret anything, but I think that you don't need to start networking as a junior or a senior in college. Network as a freshman. and You don't have to go crazy because you're not eligible for a lot of opportunities, but just start to put yourself out there. Go to some light recruiting events, start to see what's going on. Who are the main point of contacts? How do people interact with recruiters? So on and so forth. So definitely, as you said, if you can network earlier, it's also going to be more organic because you, you're not eligible for opportunities yet. So networking earlier is fantastic. But I would say for myself and, and doing a ton of career coaching, hosting the final round, being a content creator now on LinkedIn, I would say that not enough people work on building their story and doing it in a very authentic way. So you can't just come in as a general story or a general brand because you will get branded throughout the recruitment process and you need to make a name for yourself. And I don't think that you need to do what everybody else is doing. So if we go back to my life, my example, I was so focused on the two organizations that were essentially feeder organizations to get into consulting and banking that I didn't really look at what I was super interested in. And I remember that when I was graduating, I learned more about one of my friends who worked in the the tech world, and he was part of a 3D printing organization. And they literally build limbs or prosthetic limbs for some people who don't have limbs. And they literally build, it was the craziest thing, they build like an Iron Man arm, prosthetic limb for people. And I'm like, that is so cool. But it's not as well known, it's a new organization, and maybe it's not well known to the consulting companies. But looking back, 
yes, these, these organizations are, are fantastic. The ones that are like consulting organization to get into consulting, but don't be afraid to pave your own path and really follow your interests, whatever that may be, even if it's not super relevant to what you want to do, because you can always make it tailored. If I am now the president of this 3D printing student organization, I can use that as leadership to get into a company. And also it's just super rewarding. I think you come in and you brand yourself as, yeah, I'm the one who builds these Ironman prosthetic limbs for these people who don't have the resources to do it. So I would say, again, the two biggest pieces of advice that I could share with the, the Time for Coffee audience, number one is really think about your story. And if you don't have a story yet, do more thinking and then start to build a path of what would be additional items to add to your story. Number two, as you're thinking about building that story, that brand, that personal, authentic brand, don't be afraid to swim upstream. I, I always give the example or the analogy of a salmon. And a salmon does not follow the river, what all the other fish are doing and swimming down, let's say to the right. Don't be afraid to go left and really pave your own path. Because when you reach out, you look you up on LinkedIn and you're this, again, going back to the same example, you're this president or the VP or someone who started an organization that is crazy unique and it's never been done before, that is a huge value add compared to just doing what the next 10 people are doing to break into the same industry. A hundred percent. By the way, the final round is in the top 1% most popular shows out of over 2 million podcasts around the world. Time for Coffee is in the top 2%. So my friend AJ, who's been a podcaster now for just over a year, is crushing it, totally crushing it. AJ, I just have a few final questions, one of which is, what are some of the biggest mistakes that so many students make when it comes to applying for jobs at various companies? And what can they start doing right now to level up? There are obviously a ton of mistakes. And, and I, I've been fortunate to, as we've interviewed tons of recruiters now, we always ask what are the biggest mistakes? Because they light up and we're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for asking because there are so many mistakes that I want to help fix this with the candidates. But I would say if I could put it and summarize it into two main buckets, the first one is your applications or recruitment strategy is just broken. And the reason why is because, and I, I don't want to say that LinkedIn is, is at fault for this. They made the application process much easier. But the issue is that with the new additional option for easy apply, and it's literally the button is easy apply. If you go to the jobs page on LinkedIn, is it so easy to apply to a job that people think job seekers think that I could just press easy apply 500 times in 30 minutes. And guess what? I just applied to 500 jobs. But if you take a step back, you have to realize that you need to take a targeted approach and you can't apply to 500 companies and expect a result. Why? Because A, you need to document everything because you need to follow up and B, you need to start building your network at these companies. Yes, you can get into the front door, but why not get into the side door through either a referral or asking people how you did something and you can't network with five people at 500 companies, right? So that's the first thing. And really, I would say have a targeted application strategy and try to focus on, let's say, 10 to 20 companies and really double down in a certain industry versus 500. That's the first thing. The second thing is outreach, again, is done on a very wide scale in that I'm going to send, maybe I'm not even going to send a note. I'm just going to hit connect with 
Jerry, with Sebastian, with Rachel, and expecting them to either accept my connection request or reach out to me. That's not how it works. So again, similar to the companies that you apply to, you take a targeted approach, your outreach strategy should be very targeted as well. Always add a note if it's on LinkedIn, but also I always think in the best piece of advice I could share, because I always, people reach out to me and there's, I don't answer everybody, but the people who I do give up an hour of my weekend to free to just really help and mentor them are the ones who did their research, who took the time to research me and who actually I can tell did not write or use a template. And it's very obvious. And I'm sure you are probably, I can see you shaking your head as well. You know, if I send you a template, it's very obvious, but I, if I send you a very thoughtful outreach message, researching you, your background, maybe your time at uh, CNN and what you've done with XYZ thing, it comes off as very authentic. So use that for your outreach strategy and always the best way that you can almost guarantee or maximize the chance of response is if you were on the other side of the table and you were crazy busy, what would make you smile when you read a response or a message? And what would actually make you respond? Even if they don't have time, that's totally fine. People will respond if you spend a few minutes actually sending a thoughtful message. And I always say the biggest trick that I use with research, it's very similar to how I research a podcast guest, is go onto the activity section of their LinkedIn profile, look at the posts that they've made. And again, some people maybe have zero posts. Other people will be content creators. They post 10 times a day. And the ones who do post a lot, try to find something they recently posted and use that in your outreach message. So for instance, let's say that you just made a post about how you hate professional sign-offs, for instance, sincerely or best or thanks. And you say that people should sign off as kind regards, let's say. I would literally use that in my outreach message. And then they're going to know that it's too tailored to not know that it was from my most recent post. And they know they're going to smile. They're going to lighten up and say, wow, they did the research. So I love doing that. Does it take more time? Yes. And does it work every time? No. However, there's much better chances if you do this than just sending a high blank, I'm AJ, I went to this school. Do you have 20 minutes to chat? I don't know you. I don't owe you anything. There's no relationship built. It's transactional. I'm probably not going to help you. So those two things, again, the application strategy, the outreach strategy, being very thoughtful and targeted are great ways to increase your chances of success. Amazing advice. And I can pretty much tell you right now, AJ, that's going to be a K cup. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Super, super quick. You may have already hit on this. And if you have, it's fine. But I try to ask all my guests if they would share a time in their professional life. And maybe this goes back to your interning when they struggled and maybe they even failed. And it's less about the failure and more about how they persevered and if there was a lesson that they learned in the process. And it's totally fine if you want to say, hey, it was when I applied to the consulting club and the other club and or an internship or maybe even since you've been at, at Accenture. Well, I love, I love this topic because I think, again, we, we talk a lot about success and the wins and, and more people need to ask questions about how did you struggle? How did you maybe not have the best mental health? How did you potentially fail? I would say, and I'll go back to my time interning at the Walt Disney Company on the business leader rotation program. And I remember that I was so excited because I got my first rotation was in the finance, on the finance team. But then I said, wait a second, I only have a couple of finance classes under my belt. 
And this is going to be an absolute grind. And I, I really didn't want to start my day one struggling. And I was actually really afraid because I had major imposter syndrome. And I said, wait a second, I see people who are finance majors. We're going into investment banking who prepared entire summers for these types of internships. I was very fortunate to get on the program, but I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to succeed. And I don't want to be, I really wanted to be an asset to the team, to the company. So I think the best way that I was able to break this imposter syndrome and to not struggle from day one is to do the additional work needed to hit the ground running. And it wasn't required, but I took an additional online course prior to starting my internship on finance. And yes, it costs a little bit of money. And yes, I had to spend some weekends and sacrifice some nights out to finish this course. But I came in with some additional value that I could provide. I didn't want to come in saying that I'm going to be one of the hardest interns and that you're going to have to hold my hand the entire time. Of course, I still have to learn a ton. And it was a very steep learning curve. But I think that whenever you have imposter syndrome, how could you ask yourself, how could I break this? How could you ask yourself how I can get more knowledgeable on a subject? How could you you use literally Google, YouTube as one of my best friends and learn more about it? So I was really afraid of struggling and I was really worried that I, I got this internship and I'm like, this is not for me. But then I ended up really providing a lot more value because I came in doing more than the next person. I think that's also a theme that I live by is that, and a great quote is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just that little extra. So I always, whatever I do, always trying to provide a little bit more, a little more extra, whatever it is, whether it's in my consulting job, at the final round, in my sports, I recently completed an Olympic triathlon, how could I do a little bit more than the next person? And that's a huge takeaway that I'd love for the Time for Coffee audience takeaway. Don't know what to say to that other than, holy shit, you are just such an incredible mentor for our listeners, really and truly. And P.S., that's what I have done my whole career as well, AJ. Weekends, weeknights, reading, cramming, doing that extra to come up to speed. That's what it takes. That's really what it takes. Final question. If you could go back to USC and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have right now, what advice would you give yourself? Well, I was prepared for this question because I know you asked this question to, I think, many, if not all of your guests, the final question. And again, just going back and showing to people that I do do my research. And again, I don't just preach, but I practice what I preach. But I would say if I, if I were to go back, and, and this is not even just at USC, but I would say in my life, even in high school, is I, I think a lot of people, and I, I was a culprit of this, in that you don't want to be labeled a tryhard because it's not cool or sexy to be the first in a lot of things, especially early on. Obviously, as I'm sure you realize, once you're in your career, you want to be first. You want to be the biggest, the best, have the most leadership, have the most responsibility, get paid the most, whatever it is. But I think early on, there's a stigma to being first, whether that is being the first to walk into a classroom, whether that is sitting in the front row, whether that is participating in class, whether that is going to office hours, and I'll even go even farther back. When I was in middle school, I was a very fast runner. I literally ran six miles yesterday. I loved to run and clear my head. And I didn't want to be first because I didn't want to be first. I, I didn't want to be laughed at because there is a stigma to being a quote unquote try hard. 
But I would say looking back, those people are just so narrow-minded because if you don't go out and get what you want, someone else will take it. That's the first thing. And the second thing, it's across the board, whatever you do. And there's another quote, again, I, I love quotes, especially from movies, from a, a movie called Lone Survivor. One of my favorite quotes that I live by, that I literally have taped on, on the side of my, my home office here, my, my bedroom, not so much an office, but more so an office slash be- bedroom, is that anything in life worth doing is worth overdoing. Because if you give 50% to something, you're going to fail. And someone else is going to give 60%, 80%. So Again, to go full circle and answer your question, don't be afraid to be in the spotlight. Don't be afraid to shoot for the president role or the VP role, even if your friends are going to laugh at you for wearing a suit and tie and going to a networking event on a Tuesday. And I think a lot of that comes from them not being vulnerable with themselves and not really understanding that while you're taking control of your life and you're actually doing something with yourself. So again, don't be afraid to be labeled a try hard, go out and do it. Because what I've learned it's the same people who laugh and say, oh, there's the LinkedIn guy and he posts all this stuff and oh, he posted this and that are the same people a year or two later that are asking for advice that are saying, hey, can you help me get a job that are saying, hey, let's be friends now. And you're saying, wait a second, you were, you treated me horribly or you were not the nicest person. Why, why would I want to help you now? That's how it works. So again, biggest thing is go out. If you want to do something, you want to get something, go out. And, and take it, go out and give it your all, because if not, someone else will take it from you. AJ is the host of the Final Round podcast. He's also a LinkedIn learning instructor, and he's someone who posts fantastic insights and advice pretty much every day on LinkedIn. So you're definitely going to want to give him a follow and subscribe to the Final Round. AJ, where else can our listeners find you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for, for the plug there. Yes, I'd love for people to follow and, and reach out. You know, Say that you are from the T4C community, that you heard us on the show. Maybe shout out your favorite quote from this episode or maybe from the, the, one of the episodes of the final round. But LinkedIn is an amazing place to follow, to connect, to reach out. That's I probably check that more than I do a lot of other channels. Another great place is just going to thefinalround.com. You'll be able to see our podcast, all of our other initiatives. And that's a great place to learn more about us. But I would say those two are the main areas of LinkedIn and our website. AJ, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today, for that black coffee with me and the T4C community. You are incredible. And this was fantastic. All the pleasure was mine. And again, going full circle, I've been a community member in the time for coffee community for some time now. And I've listened to tons of episodes now to be on the other side of it you never know what could happen by putting yourself out there and again for anyone listening put yourself out there and you never know who will reach out maybe have you as a guest on their show podcast whatever it may be thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of t4c and if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Oh,